Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. Everyone has a worldview. We want to make sure that our approach to content is clean of that. And and you know what? Like we have we have kind of pulled that off. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. What is your greatest passion? My greatest passion is when I get a chance to get to know somebody and I get to um, help them get to who they are, who they really are, the soul of who they are, and, um, and, and share a, about how Jesus has transformed me and just try to understand um, who God is or who Jesus is to that person on a one-on-one basis. That, that is what I feel like I was made for. Yeah. So my name is John Garrett. I'm the uh, owner and founder of Community Impact Newspaper, a, a collection of uh, 26 and growing uh, hyper-local uh, newspaper editions based, based just outside of Austin in Pflugerville, Texas. And uh, we're in Austin, Houston, Dallas. Um, we're also in Phoenix and we're starting Nashville uh, this year. And um, I've got three daughters that are uh, starting to become teenagers. Uh, Well, one of them already is, but two of them are on their way. And and I've got a beautiful, amazing wife who's my best friend. And and I just uh, am very blessed and also kind of on this amazing, you know, entrepreneurial journey and and enjoying learning uh, every day. Is printing newspapers a dead enterprise? You better ignore the national narrative because John Garrett has a message you want to hear. John Garrett started Community Impact Newspaper from the game room of his home with his wife and best friend, Jennifer. The belief that everyone, not just the insiders, should know what is happening in their own backyard. This prompted him to leave a news giant and start his own news organization. Community Impact has a mission to build communities of informed citizens and thriving businesses through collaboration of a passionate team. John is beyond passionate. He believes in covering basic areas like city and county council meetings, local business news, and local news that gives a community its information about their community. Bottom line, he is doubling down on national media companies purchasing local newspapers who then aggregate national news into their reporting. He believes in local first. His success is bigger than the 26 print editions, the 45 communities covered, and the 2 million in total circulation. He is focused and has a strong faith that he shares openly inside and outside the walls of his business. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. When people describe John Garrett, how do they describe you? What what, what makes people want to come meet you and chat and hang out? Well, I, <laughs> yeah, if they haven't met me yet, I think that they... They're fascinated with how in the world is a newspaper company growing in 2019. Um, if, if they do know me, I think I think that they, uh, on my good days, <laughs> they like how um, how I'm not scared uh, of of kind of facing the giants and um, how I'm passionate about uh, what we do. And and I think also, you know, I think that they would say that I'm real. Um, so I think I think that's. I think that's what makes me interesting to people, you know, whether they know me or, or don't know me. Uh, if you ask my wife, I think uh, 
I think she would, she would say that, you know, uh, that it was all my fault. I think she thinks that we, we actually had this discussion yesterday. She, she, she thinks that, you know, I'm a really hard worker and, um, you know, I'm passionate about what I do and, and, you know, I want to help. I always want to help others. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of, I think that's what, you know, people would say about me. So how did all this get started? And, and I'm talking specifically about the hyper-focus local community paper. What's your background? Yeah, so I, I have that, like, that, that you've heard that story before. So I, I went to school at St. Houston State, which is a small state university, um, you know, kind of about an hour out, uh, outside of Houston. I grew up in Austin, but I went up there and studied radio television and had that, you know, that whole story, you know, the, the, uh, the TV guys said I had a face for radio. And, but my story is that I went to the radio guys and they said, I have the voice for the printed word. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, uh, I ended up, I, I really wanted to be a, a sports broadcaster, but you know, that's hard. And I, I frankly wasn't that good at it. And so I, I did have a chance to go work at the Houston Chronicle um, in college, actually as an intern at a great intern program. And then um, I learned the business there. I, I was very fortunate. I had people that really uh, took care of me and mentored me and moved up fast there. And in fact, you know, had a great opportunity to work with what they call the food team, which is where we learned, I learned the mail, the mail side. So I was always on the, on the business side, on the advertising side. Um, but I, I got to work with small mom and pops and learn the importance of them, but also uh, got to learn how distribution works and how mail works and how um, uh, targeting uh, mail works. And that was really beneficial to me later as we started the paper. But then, you know, my wife and I living in Houston, we wanted to move back to Austin and we moved back. I took a job at the Austin Business Journal where I was the advertising director there. And I was just 26 at the time. It was my first you know, management job. And, um, but I learned so much uh, about how to be a bad manager, <laughs> but I did learn, I did, <laughs> I did learn, um, how to build a team. And I mean, I, I was really proud of how I was, I was always a really good recruiter of people and, um, I built a good team there. And, um, you know, my wife and I lived up North in uh, Round Rock. And at the time there's a lot of development happening and we were just curious about the development around us. And, and, you know, as still most communities around the U.S., the only the only way we'd get community news was through the local publications, and and some of them are great, and some of them are, are not so great. And we we felt like something was missing, and so we um, we decided to start the paper uh, uh, with kind of a business journal approach, but for the average Joe. So I took my business journal experience, which was fantastic. I met so many great people there, and from a content perspective, and then I took the the you know the what I learned in the business side at the at the Houston Chronicle, and I put them together and built a business plan and went to work and busted my butt and um, I got enough people to believe in me to 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 get it going from the game room of our house and the first edition went out and it was it was a home run and uh, we were kind of off and running and um, we just kind of continued to grow and um, even during the recession we grew and um, we you know have built this crazy, amazing company that I'm really proud of. And um, it's, it's not just a newspaper company. I mean, we, we've built something really special and, um, and I'm really proud of it. So let's go back to building a company. Uh, the moment that you said, okay, we're going to do this. And the reason why I'm asking this is because many people always wonder, how do I go start a business when I'm working and I'm making money and I have to stop making money to go learn how to make money? 
to start a business. And, and the reason why I even think this way is I started my business the moment that the place I worked for closed and figured out very quickly how to buy those contracts and then start executing on those services immediately because I had a mortgage, you know? How did you start it at the very tactical level? Were you doing it while you're working for the Austin Business Journal? Did you just one day quit and start this paper? Talk about, and then how did you convince your wife to give it all up just to to do this? Um, that's That's a lot built into those decisions. Yeah, great question. And I think I think uh, everybody like you kind of has a story. Um, for me, I had started, I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur, like I always wanted to. And my wife will tell you, I had like a lot of really bad ideas. And and this one was just, you know, obviously it was with, within my wheelhouse. Like I knew the business. I knew, you know, I, I mean, and it was, it was just an interesting idea. Uh, it was 2005. So newspapers were on the decline, but it wasn't quite as pronounced as it is now. Um, so it wasn't like, I mean, in 2019, if people are like, Hey, I'm going to start a newspaper, you might as well say you're selling typewriters. I mean, <laughs> seriously, like it, it's hilarious. I go to business conferences and people ask me what I do. And they think they, I mean, the first they they'll actually say like, what are you going to do next? <laughs> um, and so, but I, I built this plan, you know, it was, I still have it as a self spreadsheet, you know, it's pretty funny to look at, uh, but today, but like I, I built a plan, right? Like what you should do. So you figure out like what your expenses are and, you know, you do kind of a conservative approach. And so for me, it's pretty easy. Like, so you have costs of goods sold, so printing and mailing, and then you have staff and, um, and, and then you have ad revenue. So you, you figure out like how to, how much revenue do you have to make over the expenses? And as an entrepreneur, that whatever's left is yours. Right. And so I built this plan and, um, and then for me, I was thinking, okay, well, how many full pages do I need to sell? How many half pages do I need to sell? How many quarter, right? How do I get there? And then I started looking around at who else was advertising and thinking, okay, these are, these are the prospects. I did the research, find out what they were paying in our competitors, uh, publications. So it kind of, you kind of get a feel for the marketplace. And, you know, you know, for me personally, I built this whole plan together, talked to a few people who might be interested in advertising before I quit. But for me, I had a moment at the business journal. So I had, had, had this plan. I just didn't honestly have the courage to quit, which is, I think is what you're getting at. Yep. Um, and so uh, for me, it was, oh, God was very gracious to me and basically hit me over the head. I, I had, a, I got a meeting with my boss who basically, who told me that she'd gotten a complaint from our HR department that I was sharing my faith to our, my coworkers which was probably true. Like I, I would kind of talk about my faith a lot. I'm not like a crazy beat your head, you know, head with the Bible guy, but it is who I am. And so, but anyways, the, their HR response was like, Hey, if you don't stop, like you're going to be fired. <laughs> and so for me, it was like a clear, okay, this company, I cannot be who I am with this company. Yeah. And it was a clear moment for, for so I just quit. That was my moment. Like I was like, okay, I quit. Like I had this idea. I didn't know if it was going to work or not. But I had this idea and I had, we had like, you know, we had some money in our, in some 401ks, a little bit, not a lot, but I was still young. You know, I was 30 and Jennifer and I felt like if it failed that I could go get another job. I was a pretty good salesperson. Like I wasn't worried about going to get another job. Um, and we had a Southwest Airlines credit card that, that we, uh, you know, had gotten those convenience checks with. And um, I'm not saying this is what anyone of your listeners should do, but this is what we did. 
we, you know, we called and we got a credit line extension on that to $40,000. We wrote a check and, um, and used that um, to get the company going. And we just, I just went and started selling. And it, it, what's really beautiful about our business model is that many of the reasons why we were successful on the front end, uh, you know, asking for prepayment, right? Like many of the reasons, the, the what you have to do on the front end to make the business work are are a big part of, I think, why we're successful today. And so, because we've kind of just always had these processes and because you had to get the money in. And uh, so you set the rules up that way or, or else you, you wouldn't have be able to pay your mortgage. And so that's what we set up and, um, and that's really been beneficial. So that's, that's our story. I mean, it was, it was research. We researched, I did my homework. I knew the industry. Um, I knew it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. And God kind of kicked me, kicked me to the, go pound the payment and try to make something happen. What was your motivation beyond just being an entrepreneur? Um, many of us that live in the entrepreneurial space or growing our small business growth, you know, many times we're, we're asked to come back to the institutional world, you know, work for a corporate group. And what drives you in this space where you can do something that's very obtuse? If you think about creating a newspaper is very obtuse in this digital age. And is it your faith position? Is it your research? Is it just your God-given natural belief that this is going to work? Or is it your desire? What is it? What, what, what makes you want to do this every day? Yeah, that is a great question. Because I think when people look at our company that are in the industry, they don't get it. And for good reason, like it's expensive. You know, we don't cut any corners on staff or distribution or quality of product. Like what we do is really ridiculous expensive and it has really, really thin margins. And, and it's a big investment up front. and everyone, you know, you do the math, you're like, holy crap, that keeps crazy. Um, but what drives me, what like, I read a book from, um, from Andy Stanley called uh, Visioneering when I, when I, before I started the company. And I, it's funny, I just did a book study with a couple of friends with it just a few months ago. And, and it was awesome again. So if you haven't read that book, it's a great book because one of the things that they, that he writes about that really inspired me was this idea of something has to be, it, it, it it's not that it's not like, Hey, this would be nice or what it has to be. And so he's, he, he talked about Nehemiah when he went to go build the wall, like what drove him through all the conflict and all the challenges and all the deception um, was that he, he knew it had to be. And so when I was at the Austin Business Journal, one of our selling points was um, that the reason why you should advertise in the Austin Business Journal was because the insiders read the business journal. So they, you know, the bankers and the lawyers and the d- developers and the builders and the, the people in the know r- subscribed to the business journal because they wanted to be in the know, right? And I just had this flip that was that that everyone deserved to know what the insiders knew. Like, why is it just the insiders who should know about a new development or a new road that's going to change the game? And at this time in 2005, it was starting to get more expensive to subscribe to newspapers. It started this upward trend of subscription prices. Why, why shouldn't the single mom who lives in an apartment, who's trying to make ends meet, who can't afford a subscription to a newspaper, 
why shouldn't she have access to news that impacts her pocketbook or her future career or her kid's education? And so that idea really motivated me. And to this day, I mean, when I go and I look at new areas for us to grow in it, what I do, I look at the homes. And I, I, in my mind, I feel like this neighborhood deserves to know what that empty lot is near their neighborhood. And, and so that's, that's the juice. That's the gas. That's what, that's what keeps me going. And that is what keeps our company. That's what, that's what differentiates our company. It's like, it's that passion is spread throughout the company and um, it's inspiring. It inspires journalists and inspires our readers and it, and it inspires our advertisers. Um, so um, that's the, that's the, that's what we got. And um, on the digital side, you know, people don't realize that I, I do not think there are very many people in our industry that understand the digital marketplace better than me. I study it. I know it. I test it. I, uh, I follow it. Uh, I have a debater's brain. So I'm always like challenging assumptions of mine and theirs. Um, that's how my brain works. And the, the difficulty w- with in the newspaper business, not the digital business, the digital business is great. Like if you don't produce content, you know, it's fantastic. If you can, produce your own content. Great. Like, but if you have to hire people to produce content and you're covering a city council meeting, that's talking about something that impacts 10 people, you build, try to build a business model around 10 people. Like it's impossible. So uh, on the digital side, so there's a, there's a reason why we have focused on print and that's because there has, there's a business model behind it that supports it. And to this day, I mean, I'd be curious, like if we go back and listen to this podcast, but I mean, it's 2019. And and I study this stuff. And so the New York Times is a publicly held company. You can look at their earnings reports. 60% of their revenue is still driven by the print product through circulation of print, print circulation, not digital cir- cir- uh, subscriptions, print uh, subscriptions and print advertising. And they are the leader in digital innovation in our space. And so, you know, in 10 years, is that going to be 40%? I don't know, 30%, 20%? I don't know. I think the next 30% for them to get on digital is going to be really a lot harder than they think. But let's say they do it. You still need that strong print product to have a business. I mean, they're, the New York Times is out of business tomorrow, tomorrow without the print product. So, and this is 2019. So anyways, that's, that's kind of the, the really, really long story into my brain of, of what our, what our, why we do what we do. Now a quick break to ask for your help. If you like Intersection, we would really appreciate you take a moment, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, please take a moment to leave a review. This is important because it helps others find our show. Thanks so much for your help. Now, let's return to the show. Print ain't dead i heard you like to say talk about that a few years ago i don't know maybe maybe eight years ago a a friend of mine told me that there was a book written that that is a college textbook that uh talked about community impact i was like oh that's fascinating so i I bought this textbook it's like man textbooks are expensive (laughs) i think it's like 200 dollars or something just to see like what was said uh about us 
And this professor wrote about how in a declining industry, new companies can form to capture the revenue of that declining industry. And they used us as an example, right? The newspaper business is dying, community impact newspaper pops up, grabs, uh, grabs that revenue. But the whole premise of the, of the professor's work basically says that that revenue is going to go to zero. And I, 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 I would love to talk to the professors, like if they've studied, like to me, I don't see that. Like I, obviously the decline has happened. It's clear. The data is clear, but does it go to zero? Like can, can the print product still have a substantial part of the overall advertising picture? And that's the question that obviously our company is testing. Um, Are we going to, replace the the revenues that were lost uh, over the last 20 decades, that's not likely, right? But is there enough ad revenue out there to build a great company that will be what we call an evergreen company? We want to last 100 years, you know. Um, is there enough revenue out there for us to gain with a quality product to, um, to sustain? Again, going to understanding, like I'm not being just stubborn about print. Like I, I, if digital actually had a business model that worked, like we would explore it and pursue it. There is no digital model uh, at the local level that does that will support the kind of work that we want to do, that we're able to do as a company, frankly, and um, that we have the tools to do that will work financially. So we have to have the principle. yeah, yeah. So yeah. let's talk about that work. What does it mean to be hyper focused on the very local level in the print industry to tell stories? that are only meant for print. Talk about what that looks like and what does that mean to the consumer? What do you, what will people yeah, expect so, when they pick up community impact? Yeah. Okay. There's so many parts of that to answer that question. Um, there's philosophical and just tactical. So, you know, philosophically, my brother-in-law said it best. He, he and his wife lived in central Austin, kind of cool, you know, uh, young millennial. They're, they're the cool part of the family. And they lived in Central Austin when they got married, and um, they moved out to Southwest Austin, where we have an addition, and they bought their first house. And, and he, he, he basically told me, and it was kind of an aha moment for me, because I didn't really fully understand. He's like, I didn't know that I needed to know what you were writing about until you sent it to me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you, why would you Google it, right? Like, everyone says, hey, I get my news online. Well, that's that's push, right? Like, yes, online is like, now it's algorithm based. So it's what your friends talk about. It's what's popular. It's what drives revenues, frankly, for 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 digital firms. But if I, if there's a new development near my brother in law's house that only he cares about, he would never know like to go look for it. So that's the what the printed product does is a push, right? Like we we send it to them. Right. Like we send it to them as a, as opposed to pull, right. Where you're looking for something. And so something with an algorithm kind of draws you in. And so, um, that's, that's the, that's also the tactical piece, frankly, too, but that's the philosophical, the tactical, tactical piece is like, Hey, the only way we're going to get these people's attention is if we send it to them. And then if it's, a, there's a lot to it, but if it's a high quality product, if it's things that people actually care about, if you do it the right way, then you have a chance to get the consumer's attention. And we do. And since we get the consumer's attention, then advertisers, they don't care what the, the idea that advertisers are like, we only want to do digital is just not true. The advertisers want to drive business to their business. Yes. And so if it's podcasts or if it's billboards or if it's print or digital or what at Facebook, whatever, they care about building their business. And so if we can deliver eyeballs, then we can get we can 
have a seat at the table, right? And that's kind of uh, how we've done it. So let's talk about tactical level. That's very that's a very editorial conversation to have when you start looking at the stories to tell that are hyper focused, that are about a push mentality. Talk about the editorial side of picking those stories to cover that create the push to the eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, if it's about your neighborhood, you care. Right. Um, you know, it, it, so you want to make the hyper local makes it so you care. So like large daily struggle with this because, you know, they used to, what else did they use in Crockett? There used to be a lot of targeting, but they, they've gone away from that. So now if you, if you have a large daily newspaper because of your re- limited resources, you might write about something that's happened south of the city that has nothing to do with the north of the city. And so if you live north of the city and you get a paper that's just writing about south of the city, like you don't care. So editorially, like we focus on just north of the city, for example, and we have a south of the city, right, edition. And so you're always going to be in the ball game of people of caring about people, of having content people care about if you're writing about their neighborhood. And so you just then you just have to have the resources. So I, I always admire there's a lot of great digital startups that are out there. Um, but most of them are led by editorially gifted people. I'm not editorially gifted. And so because of that, I have to pay reporters that are to do the work. And so, um, you know, we pay really good people and we pay them well to go do quality journalism. That is unusual for a free publication. And certainly in today's age, unusual for a, for a hyper-local publication. So, it's quality journalism about your neighborhood. Define quality journalism from your perspective. Sure. Sure. So we, it is, that's a great question because there's a lot of different kinds of quality journalism. Our, our approach to the quality journalism that what I'm talking about is uh, sort of like a business journal for the average Joe. So we write about development, transportation, city government, um, you know, taxes, the, not school, not school sports, but how schools are performing, like the business side of schools. We take these kind of complex issues that impact everyone and we break them down in easy ways to understand. So we we're not a business journal. The business journal will talk very high level, like very educated audience approach, like usually what they're writing about. People know about they understand development, for example. Well, someone who just moves to from from, you know, the town of Gilbert to the city of Round Rock. What's the difference between the, like how does the city function and why how how you know Houston doesn't have zoning but Austin does like what is zoning you know and so we take the approach to, the business journal approach to the average Joe so we explain these things and 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 we do it in a quality way without editorialization we cover elections better than anyone in my view but we don't endorse candidates mm. we don't we 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 leave we leave our worldviews on the copy editor desk. And so we really want to make sure that, because we all have, everyone has a worldview. We want to make sure that our approach to content is clean of that. And, and you know what, Bobby, like we have, we have kind of pulled that off to this day. We pulled that off and that in our business is incredibly difficult. Yes. I'm really proud of our team. That is incredibly yeah. difficult. And I would love to go back to an earlier conversation that we had about, in the first segment, when you talked about the moment that you left the Austin Business Journal because you were talking about your faith. 
and balance mm-hmm. that against leaving the worldview out. How have you created a Christian-based company with amazing pillars to drive quality journalism but leave the worldview out? How do you do that? So there's little doubt. If you were to, if you were to ask, survey my staff and say, like, where is John's where is where are his religious views? Like I think that most of them would know. Um, I, I do I do talk about my faith, but I I am very clear that you know our executive team and our company is full of of differing worldviews, and and it actually supports what we're trying to accomplish on the editorial newsroom side more than you would think, because if our employees feel safe that that they know who I am and I'm not hiding who I am. I'm not like tricking them, right? Um, and they feel safe that they can be who they are relationally with people. They don't have to hide anything. And it's not going to impact their career or their job or that they feel safe, right? Then it actually allows me to be who I am. And I believe that true Christianity, really loving others, you know, to me, it's defined in First John chapter three, where where he says, you know, Christianity is basically acknowledging that Jesus is God's son, and acknowledging who he is, and loving others. So, to me, that's an attractive thing for for anybody. And so, I feel like if, if I'm if I'm true to to my faith, then I'm loving others for who they are, even if they don't agree with my faith. And that's that creates a safe place. Like they're not wondering who I am, and they're not feeling insecure about who they are. And uh, and it, it it really it's it's worked. I I had a conversation recently with with an, uh, an employee that has a way different way different worldview than me, and she she told me like she said basically I know in today's world it's really hard to be a CEO and an owner of a company that you 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 feel okay sharing who you are. But she said, "Don't stop." And and you know, if you knew the if you knew the differences between the, her and me and our worldview, it, and you were able to get into our hearts to understand how much respect we have for each other, even though we have those differences, how much love we have for each other, then you would see that you're able to to do it. Now it's not perfect. I'm sure there are people that hate every time I say the name Jesus. But you know what? Um, you know, I have a legal responsibility to my employees to treat them fairly and give them a safe place to work. And I do that. And, you know, but but that doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to be who I am. That's right. So, and and so I guess through that question, I'm driving to this idea of authenticity. Would you say that the pillars, and you probably have your own pillars for the business, but would you say a part of that Mm -hmm. is just the, the space to allow yourself and your staff and the people around you to be authentic. And that's what drives the authenticity of your paper. Yeah, I think, you know, my HR director is fantastic. She, she really has, I didn't understand this. She helped me understand this and it's so true. And so if there's something if from a business perspective that, that this, this podcast can give your listeners, you know, culture is not ping pong tables and free sodas and beer Thursdays. Culture is actually from the top. So who I am and who Jennifer, my wife is, who we are is is what the community impact culture is going to be. For all the good and bad and ugly, right? Like 
I got some bad traits too that show up <laughs> and I'll see it. And the, a good leader is like, oh man, that person's responding like that because that's who I am, right? But there's also really good about it. And so you, as people get to know me more, they know that I am vulnerable. I am open. I am um, someone that is a learner. I am curious, right? I, I, I'm passionate about what, what I do. I care about the quality of the work and, you know, yeah. So to answer your question, yes, our pillars are driven by me. Our culture is driven by who I am. And it's the same for any company. Once a company loses their, their CEO soul, it doesn't mean a new CEO can't have a soul in the company, but what, but once that soul is different or changed or wh whatever it is, that's who, that's who those employees are. It doesn't matter if you're a public company or a private company. It, you, who your leader is, is what your culture is going to be. So for all the good and bad. It, I love it. And as you look 10, 15 years down the road, how do you hope you and Community Impact impact the communities that you serve? Yeah. So I hope that from a, from a new standpoint that, that we are a true fourth estate and a fourth estate to me what the news media is called is needs to that definition needs to change in my view. The 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 true fourth estate is the one that's a fourth estate to me means establishment in the community. So they have to care actually about the health of the community. So it, it, I'm hoping in ten years um, we're in more communities and we're we're a true fourth estate. We're 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 watching the government, but we're not like uh, enemies of the government. We're 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 all aligned from the government, the citizenry, the local businesses, and us. We're all aligned to help make a great community, a great place to live, a great place to work. We all have different jobs to do to make sure that that happens. But I hope that that's happening in 10 years. I think, obviously, I hope that we're still helping local businesses thrive. And and most important, um, when I walk into uh, the Gilbert office in Arizona or walk into Houston or Dallas or Austin, um, I am so proud to walk in those offices. I, I feel that the culture is intact um, as we've grown and my hope is as we grow that 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 would be the case that as Jennifer and I walk into an office and some place that we don't even know exists 10 years from now uh that we feel the same uh culture and love and passion and um and commitment to communities and quality of people that we feel that we feel when we walk into those other offices today thank you very much John Garrett. It is a pleasure and an honor to be uh, talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time and I really, really, really appreciate your vision and values as you share your story. Thanks, Bobby. I really appreciate the time too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Go to touchpoint.health for many other podcasts, including Datapoint, hosted by Greg Matthews, featuring trending topics as he explores the idea of the quadruple aim, enhancing patient experience, improving population health, improving provider experience, and reducing costs in the system. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.